Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And as usual, I'm joined in my uh, completely updated avionics-wise cockpit by uh, Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. Awesome. Welcome once again to the Tim May Podcast cockpit. Thank you. You can't uh, send college football uh, and Tim May Podcast news around the world without a plane. So True. glad to be along for the flight as always. Yeah, and it, like I said, it's updated with the latest avionics, so we're not we're bound not to get lost unless the uh, satellites fall out of the uh, fall out of Earth orbit. But I digress. We, we don't get we don't get lost. We just take detour digressions. That's fine. Bingo. You know the digressions. You know, but if I could, I don't know. I was thinking about them as I was flying back from Houston the other night, and uh, I'm just going. You know, the digressions are what make life interesting. You know, once you get yeah. there, you. Once you get there, you got there and you go, well, wait a minute, the trip was a hell of a lot more fun, but I digress. Uh, draft just happened. I've yeah. got a young man coming on named Jake Ballard. Ohio State fans remember him as that the uh, Statue of Liberty uh, pass catching tight end from the Rose Bowl. As a lot of people said, oh, that guy can catch the ball too, you know. Well, the New York Giants were paying attention, you know, sign him as a free agent. As I referred to him as a draft pick earlier in the early in the interview, but I mean, I knew all along, he, you know, he didn't get drafted. He's one of those guys who should have gotten drafted, which Maybe. is what we're going to get into in the in the second part of this uh, podcast. But real quick, uh, just tip me a little tease here. What was the biggest development do you think Ohio State related to the 2021 NFL draft? Something that hit you sideways, either really good or really bad. Um. I- I think it was just the capper to the Justin Fields saga that was really, all right, well, this is, this is done. And the way it ended, I think that people will look at this and you hear the punchlines. Ohio State doesn't have success in the NFL level. uh, And, and Justin Fields is going to Chicago where they don't have NFL success either. That's not going to work like that stuff. That doesn't even matter to the Buckeyes because they've now had a second first round draft pick in three years at quarterback. Yeah, so you're going to have probably more of them because of that. What matters to high school recruits is becoming a first round draft pick. Whatever happens after that is up to the NFL coaches, the right fits, however they decide to you know handle their work ethic and all that stuff. That's out of Ohio State's control. Where they went to college no longer matters. But for a four or five star recruit, for a Quinn Ewers, for somebody in a following class, seeing that Ohio State can get that Ryan Day, that Kevin Wilson, that Corey Dennis can get these quarterbacks into the first round, even if Justin Fields slid, he was a, a, the number 11 pick of the draft. Uh, most people would kill for that opportunity. It's a, a life-changing money and a situation where he can go maybe, you know, change history for the Chicago Bears. I think the gravity of that for what it meant for Fields, Day, uh, Ohio State's program, and then the future of the quarterback position, which as we talked about every on pretty much every episode we've ever had or yeah. any conversation we've had, if you don't have that guy – it's much harder to win a national championship or impossible. So that's sort of like – and the fact that it was just over after all the nonsense we had to hear, I think that was significant, even though there's a lot of other things we could talk about. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if, it, if people aren't paying attention, the last nine years have taught you that if you're the Ohio State starting quarterback, you're probably going to eventually win the Chicago Tribune Silver Football Award, which is <laughs> MVP of the Big Ten, or you're going to win a national championship, Cardell Jones. His brief stay at the top, you know, as the starting quarterback at Ohio State included winning a national championship. And, uh, 
you know, the last couple of drafts have proven you're probably going to get drafted and uh, J- and you're going to set records along the way. JT Barrett, great example. Uh, Dwayne Haskins Jr., great example. And, of course, Justin Fields. And, yeah, I think Justin Fields went to the right thing because, you know, we're, getting, we're, not, we're going to cover him right now. He got drafted to the right team. Uh, yeah, he slid to 11. You know, back in the day, man, you're 11th pick in the NFL draft. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, no matter where you go. But he's going to a place where they desperately need a quarterback. And, man, the hoopla that created in Chicago, probably more hoopla than when he, than when he uh, uh, moved to Ohio State from Georgia. When you think about it, I mean, they really think he's going to take them to the promised land. I mean, it's, I think he really landed in a great spot. Yeah, and I think one over a lot of uh, people that will be loyal to uh, new Bears fans, I guess I should say, that want to follow Justin Fields and were really impressed with the way that he handled himself, uh, you know, the fight to bring back Big Ten football. Maybe it's fitting that that he's going directly now into Chicago uh, uh, after what happened there and the petition and all that stuff. I, I think, you know, I, who's to say? I, I watch the NFL, but I don't. I'm not in that day to day life. I don't know if it's a great fit. I don't know what their offense does. I, I really can't sit here and honestly say like, well, that there's a good chance he'll win there. I don't know. Uh, I thought that that Washington and going home was going to be good for Dwayne Haskins. It turned out it wasn't. He's still really talented, and I think that a a second chance in Pittsburgh could be just what he needs. Um, But that's that's back to what I was saying earlier, Tim. Like Ohio State can't really be you know be concerned about that. And there's no if people want to badmouth them because of that. There's there's nothing they can do. All they have to do is say, well, they're first round picks. We changed their life. or help them change their life. They didn't do it by themselves. Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins were really talented before they arrived and, and certainly were when they left. But I, I just, you and I have both said that we felt sorry for the way that that worked. And, and it's really crazy, as you said, that somebody could slide to 11. Like You have to be rated in the top 10 for that to be true in the first place. So yeah. uh, it, it was just a bizarre couple of months. And I'm really glad that it's over for, for us, for him, for everybody. Yeah, bottom line is he's a he's a first round draft pick, uh, uh, not just first round, upper one third of the first round draft pick. And uh, well, what more can you ask? You know, when you're sitting there when you're 15 years old and you want to play college football and in the NFL, that's pretty damn good <laughs> the way I look at it. And uh, <laughs> it's a beauty contest, you know. And you know, my, my guest I've got coming on, Jake Ballard. You know, uh, uh, he talks about you know, just the vagaries of the whole pro situation of making a team, uh, you know, you can be better than the guy who's who they've got already in, in, in a position. But, uh, you know, the pro teams are a lot like families in the sense you get favorites, you know, when it comes to players and you stick with them, even though you may bring a guy along who might be better than that guy. You know, it's all about, you know, uh, uh, basically making people feel comfortable with you and vice versa. So, you know, without further ado, let's get to my interview, my little talk here with Jake Ballard, and we'll come back and we'll chop up who our surprises were from the uh, Ohio State draft other than Justin Fields' uh, situation and maybe who's coming down the, the pipeline, otherwise known as the transfer portal, possibly for Ohio State. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, uh, having a little guest spot here with one of my favorite people. Now, Jake Ballard, I say that about a lot of people that come on my podcast, but you clearly are one of my favorite people, man. We not only have talked together before Ohio State games with our buddy AR-15, otherwise known as uh, AKA uh, Anthony Rothman, 
the last couple of years before Ohio State football games on that tailgate show, but we even played some golf together, man. And uh, as people know by now, or paying attention to me and my podcast, but more me and my uh, uh, me me and my Twitter account, I, I refer to you as Crankenstein. But welcome to the Tim May podcast, my man. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, we're we're teammates in the trail, the tailgate show, and even more importantly, teammates in uh, the golf the golf realm with the outings and the scrambles. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not kidding. This guy hits the ball as far as Happy Gilmore. I don't know how far he would hit the ball if he had the approach that Happy Gilmore took <laughs> to his drives. But uh, when we were playing in a scramble a few weeks ago, this guy hit a hundred, a 198-yard nine-iron. It was with the wind, but within eight feet of a uh, of a hole, R5. That is correct, isn't it, Crankenstein? I mean, Jake? That's true. You know, blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, but we did sink that eagle putt there, so we won't talk about the size of the hole in the Easter outing. But. Yeah, well, let's just leave it at this. The Easter Bunny definitely could have found that hole, but we digress, <laughs> right? Okay. Hey, but real quick, I wanted to get you on, man. I want you to talk about, uh, you know, the draft is over. You're a guy with a Super Bowl ring uh, with the New York Giants and stuff. My point is you got drafted. You paid the price to, pl- to play in the National Football League. Actually – you end up paying pretty much the ultimate price, you know, which was you get injured and you get gone, you know, uh, after a while trying to come back and stuff. But uh, what are these guys that got drafted over the weekend from Ohio State? What's that sort of that next step that they're going to have to adjust to in the in the game? I know it's been a few years since you were in it and, and uh, about a decade since you actually got drafted or, or more. But uh, what what what's that next step for these guys that they have to adjust to? Yeah. Well, first off, so I, I actually did, I went undrafted. I was, I was, I was getting calls in the sixth and seventh round, but nothing ended up happening. Um, but then I signed right after draft, had a couple teams wanting to get into me, but I, I've been around in the NFL and been around enough guys who've got drafted first round to last round. So I'm pretty familiar with the whole process. And it, it really just depends on where you're falling in the draft, right? You know, yeah. if you're, if you're the first a first round guy, use most of the time the guys I've been around, you're pissed off because you didn't go higher, or guys were drafted before you that you thought you were better in. AKA you have Justin Fields sitting there at eleven, and the good ones, the great ones, will use that you know energy and emotions and to feed the fuel in the fire and to really you know take their team or the talents to the next level. But for everyone else, you know you're sitting there on draft day. When I was so when I signed in draft day, it was multiple days, just like now. So, you know, <clears throat> I didn't have very high expectations. Obviously, I didn't have that many receptions at Ohio State. We had a nice running quarterback my junior and senior year, and Terrell Pryor won a lot of games. But you know, I was getting some talk from the Patriots. The Patriots were talking to my agent, saying, "Listen, we really like you. We think you're a sleeper in this draft class. We know you can block. We think you're more athletic than people think." And uh, if we don't draft a tight end early, you know, we're probably going to try and get you late if you're still available. Um, so I was like, well, that's awesome. And I talked to my agent and was like, is this legit? Is this a legit thing? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, there's no nonsense around there. So, you know, I'm watching the draft and second round rolls around. And who do they take with the first pick in the second round? Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well – Probably won't be getting grabbed by the Patriots. And then sure enough, guess what? In the fourth round or fifth round, they take another tight end named Aaron Hernandez. So I'm like, well, I'm going to cross that off the list. Sure enough, after the draft, they still wanted to sign me, but I knew I couldn't fight for a spot. They had yeah. two, 
high caliber tight ends, I'm going to be on the practice squad at best case scenario. Yeah. So that's what led me to the Giants. But, you know, it's such a day of emotions for these kids in the unknown. You don't know where you're going until it happens. Like, you might have an idea, but then it's like, oh, well, you know, like me, I thought I could go to New England. Well, then I'm going to the Giants. Or you have some guys who might think, oh, I'm going to go to Carolina. Then you'll be out in L.A. Yeah. They just don't know. And for being football players in college at Ohio State or in general, you're just used to routines of the known, right? Yes. I have the season. Uh, Monday's my off day. Sunday's Monday's my off day. Then I'm training, practice, Tuesday, class, all this stuff during the season. Then spring ball, you have your schedules. Now it's like, I don't know what happens next. Yeah. It's very, very anxious and uh, kind of it's intimidating. Yeah, you know, I, I referred to you as getting drafted, and that was a faux pas, brain fart on my part, because you made a team and you won a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And, uh, I mean, I think most people, when you look back on your career, they think, well, that, you know, some of the Giants were smart, man. They got in there and got in on it. But you're right. I mean, you know, if you don't go in those first, what is it, four rounds? Or was it? what's the feeling, first four or five rounds? Uh, you may get a signing bonus, six and seven, but you're going to be fighting just like that uh, – just like that free agent, right? I mean, well, uh, you were a free agent signing. Go ahead. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty known. If you're a first, to, I mean, obviously first through five rounds, you're basically guaranteed a spot on the yeah. roster for a year. You yeah. know what I mean? If you're higher up, maybe even more than that, because you know front office guys have a lot of ego. They don't want to look like dummies. Yes. By cutting somebody that soon, um, I remember there's a guy. I won't mention names, but well, I guess I will. I don't care. Uh, yeah. Linebacker in New York, drafted the fourth round, Philip Dillard. Solid guy from Nebraska. Uh, had all Big 12, all that stuff going on. And come into the second year, they cut him out of training camp. I don't even think he made the second cuts. Wow. Cut him. Cool. wow. Yeah. That was kind of unheard of. Um, but if you're a sixth and seventh round guy, it does not matter. They do not care. You have to compete, and you got to earn your spot. Otherwise, you're getting taken out with the garbage if you're not earning it. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about yeah, but the funny thing about the, the lower end guys now, there's been this resurgence too for guys that make less money to balance off the guys that are making the more money on rosters, right? I mean, that's the that's the numbers game they they uh, deal with more than just the roster who's on the roster. It's like what are they making and stuff. And so, you know, it's it's just a weird time, isn't it? Do you think for these guys for the for the NFL, I mean for the guys who are fighting for roster spots? Well, yeah, because it's, a you know, like you said, it's more than just a, a playing ability. It's, okay, well, we got a young cat who we think we have confidence in. He's shown it enough. But, you know, we have some older guys who bring leadership, experience to the locker room, but they're making this much money. We can get yeah. the same talent out of this guy. So then you weigh all these immeasurables. Like, like a guy like Kurt Coleman, his last year, he got brought into Buffalo and – didn't play much, played special teams. Um, it was his 10th year. So, he, you know, he's set for life with health insurance, getting that 10th year in. But they could have brought in a younger guy, cost less money, but Kurt's leadership and ability to step up and want to play special teams and do a great job means more. It meant more to that program. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. Well, hey, take us through, though. I mean, after, after you sign – you know, after you go to these OTAs and stuff, I mean, I'm I'm not sure what the OTA situation is is like. You know, this year again in, with the COVID situation, uh, and you know, we all know last year was really weird. But uh, 
what do they expect from you from a team standpoint? Uh, <clears throat> what are you, what are you sort of, what, what, what will these guys sort of in general be required to, like you were talking about your, your days <laughs> at Ohio state, when you're working out there, you know, and, and of course now with Mickey Marotti and his program and stuff, but your days were literally etched in stone, weren't they? I mean, Monday, what, what, how different is it for the for the pro guy now between now and the start of training camp, just in general terms? So with the COVID stuff, you know, there it seems like they're putting the, the decision on the players whether they have to go to, uh, you know, voluntary off-season workouts. But if guys are really dedicated to getting better and improving as a team, they're going to be there. Um, and it sounds like it's it just depends on the on the organization, but you know, as rookies, when you get there, it's going to be very structured. It's going to be almost like college. Almost, it almost feels like you're a freshman. You, you do feel like you're a freshman again. Yeah. You're going to have a schedule where you're staying, food, at least for the most part. The places I was at, that's how it was. Now, I'm not, it could change from organization to organization, but it's very structured. You have to be there. You're spending long days at the facility, training, lifting meeting with your coaches. Now that's different with vets. Vets aren't doing that as much because they, they've been around the block, but rookies, it's the same thing. And the whole courtship, like you said, before the drafts, coaches are calling you, Oh, we really like you. You, you get there and it might be five minutes of that, but then it's, it's a business. Yeah. You know, these jobs and livelihoods are on the line and they're going to get after you. And the good coaches will be able to, you know, coach you up on the field, off the field, in the meeting rooms, without absolutely tearing you apart all the time, but it's definitely a wake up call and just getting used to the, the new systems, the new environment, the new coaches, it, it can be tough for some of these guys. Luckily for me, I went from, you know, Trestle, a Trestle guy to somebody who I think is a little similar to Tress with and coach Coughlin, yeah. you know, very five minutes early, all the clocks are set five minutes early. It's Coughlin time. Just like we used to call it Trestle time. Yeah. And, He'd come in the morning, we'd have our team meeting, talk about some things. And the one thing that sets Coughlin apart a little bit from Tress is he, he didn't shy away from, from tearing you apart, tearing you down um, publicly, get after you. And uh, I respected him for that a lot, but it's definitely a wake-up call. And then not to mention throw in the fact that now you're in the same locker room as NFL greats that you were yeah. watching play when you were in junior high, maybe some of these guys, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I walked in the locker room. There's Brandon Jacobs, Kevin Boss, Eli Manning, you know, Maud Bradshaw. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Yeah. Keith, Keith Bullock was on the Giants my rookie year, his last year in the league. I'm like, wow. I want to play with this guy on Madden 2004. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Now it's fast forward to 2010, and he's still playing. Yeah, well, yeah, it's funny. Like you know, guys, guys are guys are going. Guys are on Tampa Bay right now, uh, who uh, you know are younger than the years Tom Brady's been in the league. I mean, that's right. nuts when you think about it. It's nuts from both sides of it when you think right. about it. You know, but right. I want to ask you. Go ahead, though. I played with Tom in New yeah. England. Yeah, great guy. But the minute you walk in there, you're just like, man, this is so intimidating. You know, I watched this guy win a Super Bowl in 2011, 2001. Yeah. You know, I was 13 years old, and now I'm yeah. in the same locker room as him. What was, he, what was he like, though? Was he, was, he, was he a demanding 
teammate, if you follow my drift, how would you describe him to somebody? I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not saying he was a coach on the field and stuff, but he's kind of got this rep that, you know, he wants, he wants everybody around him to be as all in as he is. I mean, how would you describe, you know, your interaction with him? I'd say that's pretty spot on. You know, Tom was, Tom is a great guy when I was around him. He made an effort to get to know everybody on the roster, you know, whether you're number two behind him or number 90 about to get cut and do the, you know, go out the spinning doors in new England as their, you know, their uh, front office does at times, but very, you know, he demanded a lot of guys, but he also had the, the walk and the street cred to be able to do that. Yeah. And he put in all the extra work and he expected you guys too. I mean, it would be after OTAs, we'd be on OTAs would be done. The practice would be over. Tom would want to throw a bunch of extra balls to receivers. So you got Julian Edelman out here running more routes, Wes Welker, Gronk, me, Aaron Hernandez, like, Right after we just got done with an hour and a half practice, and New England's not known for easy practices to catch my drift. And yeah. he's up there slinging it, and he expects a lot, but he also is doing a lot. You see him in the facility all the time. He's watching film. He's in the weight room. He's working his TB, you know, TB12 thing, getting worked on. So yeah. when you have a leader like that, the top showing the guys the way, it's easy for guys just to fall in line and do that. It's pretty similar to, like, the stories I hear about – you know, Bobby, AJ Schlegel, when James came in as a freshman, you know, kind of just fell yeah. in that group and shoot, I'm going to do what these guys are doing. And yeah. it, it paid off. I mean, obviously James put in a lot of hard work, but in, in the same thing, when Ross Holman went got in early, you know, he starts bobbing Schlegs and all the guys are still around and he just followed suit and, and it pays off. Yeah. I was going to say, man, when you do get that chemistry going, you do get that climate going in your, uh, in your program, it is pretty, it is a sight to behold. You know, the interesting thing, you know, uh, Bill Belichick talked to the uh, coaches, the, the Ohio State football coaches convention, you know, at Ohio State uh, several years ago, and he made an interesting point. He goes, one of the toughest things that a head coach in the NFL has to foster is preseason camp everybody being team oriented, meaning trying to get better for the team. When in fact, half of those guys working out, know they're going to get cut. You know, they don't know necessarily they're going to get cut. Yeah. You're but on, half you're of them will get yeah. cut. Right. And you were in those kind of say, well, that's what I was going to get into with you. You're trying to take, when you go in as a freshman, freshman, when you go in as a rookie, you're trying to take a grown as urban Marvel said, grown ass man's job, <laughs> yeah. you know, this isn't like walking into Ohio State where, uh, you know, the senior tight end is going to take you under his wing and because he knows he's going to play and you're going to learn the game unless you're a superstar. It, explain to me, talk to me about that camaraderie, you know, that you try to foster, yet you know you're each trying to get each other's job. Right. And it's intimidating, man, but I think playing in Ohio State, you play against grown men. You know, even though their birth certificate might say 21, 22, 20, you're playing against the best of the best every day. Now it just gets a little more intimidating because you don't know these guys. You don't know the status quo, right, in practice, and summer practices. Yeah. It's a little bit of a buddy system sometimes. And if you're an undrafted guy like me trying to make a splash and also not piss off the old guys – it's tough. Like, yeah. You want to get friends, but then it's like, you got to get after it. And so when I showed up in New York and we were doing OTAs and we wouldn't have pads on, but we'd have our helmets on, it was like full go. And I was going to show, 
you know, I went in there and they had Kevin Boss and uh, Travis Beckham, who I'm, uh, my, he was my guy, but, you know, he was a Wisconsin Badger and I'm seeing him like the enemy, right? Even though yeah. we're not close to the same tight end. He's, he's, a, he's a receiving tight end. He's 6'3", 240. I'm in there at 6'6", 270. It's not the same thing. Yeah. But anyway, you know, once the helmets are on, we were practice. I was going to show these coaches, I don't care who you put in front of me. I'm going to block the crap out of them. So, you know, I didn't make very many friends out the gate, but I was making splashes because they saw I, was, I could block better than anybody had on the roster. You know, yeah. Kevin Bosch was a big athletic tight end. He, he could block, but he was more receiving guy. You know, he was serviceable in the blocking game, but I was actually moving guys that they weren't seeing. They weren't used to seeing get moved or get locked down. Like I was locking OCU Manure as a past pro and then moving, you know, holding my own against Justin Tuck and, Honestly, when JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul was a rookie, he wasn't as uh, polished as he is now. Yeah, yeah. the crap out of him. I don't think he was used to in the, uh, you know, what were they, Big East? They had Big East when he got, when he was playing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And they weren't used to seeing tight ends who could block 290-pound DS. Yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of like going from high school to college for him. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes in it. But you, like I said, you guys not give a crap. Those guys have made it. Jaden Pierre-Paul is a first-round draft pick. He's guaranteed three or four years at max, you know, if he's a terrible – if he's a bad player. And then you got veterans who've been there. You know, they don't have to kick ass during summer OTAs. Yeah. I have to. So it's a do or die, or you'd be on the streets soon. How, 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 how much feedback did you get from coaches, from the coaches then? I'm talking, you know, the guys that were leading the, the workouts or – I mean, how much – did you lean just pretty much on what they were telling you, no matter what anybody else was griping about this Rudy guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, remember the Rudy deal where, hey, you're making us all look bad, you know. But I mean, well, who did you who did you find out you could lean on for the for the true word about what was happening, about where you stood, et cetera? Uh, I was pretty fortunate. I had a great uh, tight end coach of New York. His name is Mike Pope, and he was you know, lifer NFL tight end coach. He coached Mark Bavaro in the eighties for the giants. So he, he, he was like the second longest tenure guy in the giants organization Uh as a tight end coach. So he knew how it worked. He knew. And he just would tell me to keep, he's like, I don't care what these guys are selling you. You've got to keep going. You're, you're making a big splash and opening people's eyes. And so I relied on him. And then also Charles way, he was our uh, player development guy. He played fullback for the giants in the nineties. And uh, he was, I I really liked him a lot. He also was in charge of the rookie meetings and he would just keep telling me, he's like, Hey, keep going. He's like, we're going to have a spot for you. We haven't seen this happen at a tight end position in a long time. So that in its own kept me going and, you know, other players would respect it. And some of the old guys would get pissed off, but they also know it. They know they know what life's like for young rookies who don't have a signing bonus. They understand you're trying to feed, you know, feed your family, quote unquote, or take yeah. care of yourself. So it's hard for them to get too mad. Um, but it's all part of it. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, that old, uh, uh, who was that? Not John Matuzak. Who was it uh, in, in, the, in the movie? When we call it a game, you call it a business. When we call it a business, you call it a game, you know, that, uh, that old soliloquy and, and that is kind of that is kind of what it felt like a little bit, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. without a doubt. And it's not 
in the NFL, you're waking up, nothing was guaranteed. Every day was – it's not like college, right? You're Like you said, you're a freshman, true freshman on campus. You're guaranteed, you know, as long, besides getting arrested and doing bad things off the field, you're going to be there for four or five years, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter what you do on the field. If you're a flop, as long as you're doing what they ask you and being a good team player, you're going to be there. But if you – you don't have time for that. You don't have to – you can't afford to put – multiple play mistakes in a plays in a row, much yeah. less multiple bad practices overall. It's it, and you got to learn quick. If you make a mistake, you can't show those guys that you make the same mistake because they pay attention. You got eyes. All eyes are on you from the facilities and the organization. Even people you might not think they have a say like equipment dudes, they keep track of, how you interact with them. If you treat them like garbage, if you're, you know, if you're a low guy, low rookie, you might be undrafted or just here for tryouts. If you start treating these, these guys that you think might not be able to do anything for you, you'll find out real quick. Hey, we don't like, you know, we're letting you go. You've been really disrespectful to a lot of people in the organization. They just be like, what? No, I haven't. Not realizing. Yes, you were. Yeah. You're, you're not treating the cooks right or nutritionists or whatever it might be. There's, everybody's watching you, everybody's evaluating you, and you don't even know it. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Think about in college football, if you're, the, if you're a prima donna superstar, you can get away with a lot of things. I would think you could do that in the NFL too, but when you're that guy that's grunting to make the team and stuff, it's uh, – yeah, that's that's interesting. Hey, uh, real quick uh, too, I never asked you, and we never talked about this, you, you being an undrafted free agent, you know, I, I presented this earlier with you being drafted because I just felt like in my head, you know, well, this guy won a Super Bowl. He had to be drafted. I, and as you got in talking, I go, Timbo, you know, uh, I even call myself Timbo when I'm thinking my inner voice. Uh, you dumbass. He was an undrafted free agent. But real quick, though, um, uh, how did you handle, like, meals and stuff? Uh, how did you stay uh, nutritionally fit, you know what I mean, before – you make the team and stuff. It's all on you to a certain extent, right? So you're talking about pre, like, yeah, pre yeah. Pre, yeah. Pre-making the team, you know? Yeah. So I am, fortunately I signed a pretty good agent in Blake Barrett's out of uh, Minnesota. He's Institute for athletes. He's actually representing Tommy Togiai and Rashad Bateman. Um, Kirk Coleman had him as well. And a couple other big team, Reed Fragle. So, you yeah. know, he, he was an experienced agent and he knew this was, you know, it's ride or die time. And he luckily, well, not luckily, he provided us with meal plans and a nutritionist to send meals to our house. Really? Yeah. yeah. So it, for a guy like me, you know, he, he saw me in the Rose Bowl play. You know, I was undecided. You know, seniors were able to talk to agents back then. I know they can now a little more, um, maybe even younger. I, I don't remember, know the rules, but so I was talking to a couple. He wasn't even on my radar. He saw me play in the Rose Bowl. Him and his partner, uh, Barry Gardner, who played Northwestern. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Barry was like, this tight end is killing people on the line. He's running up and down the field wide open. Why are they throwing him the ball? And he was freaking out. And they were just there to watch Kurt because they already signed Kurt. And I guess Barry kept saying in the stands, throw the tight end the ball. And then eventually when I made the catch of the Rose Bowl, he's like, turned around to all the people in the audience and it was all Buckeye fans. He's like, I told you, I've been telling you guys to throw him the ball the whole game. <laughs> and uh, I met them after the Rose Bowl and ended up hanging out with them after the Rose Bowl. And uh, the rest was history. But they were able to 
you know, send me meal plans. And at, at the time, Eric Lichter, uh, the strength coach of Ohio State, he was pretty known for combine training. He was yeah. a big in the country. So he's like, you know, what good agents will do, they'll evaluate who you're training with. And if they think it's better to move you to, you know, like a, a place in Arizona or Florida where it's more specialized, they will. But we didn't feel the need because – Lichter was right here, right yeah. here in Columbus, and that's what we decided to do. Yeah. So yeah, he, I was, go ahead. I was finishing school, training with Lichter, and just doing diets that way. Gotcha. That's interesting. I, you know, because I think everybody has a different way of going about it and stuff. I didn't realize that about your your agent. You know, basically setting you up in those in those respects. I just figured he said, "Hey, I'm gonna get you a good contract." <laughs> hey, uh, go back to this the competition thing though, because. You know, like you said, top four or five rounds, you're probably going to make the team in some capacity. You're going to special teams. You're going to be uh, on the team and stuff. But uh, is is it like a 24-7, like you were talking about, the equipment manager keeping up with how you treat him, blah, blah, blah. Did you feel like the microscope was on you 24-7? How, how would you explain how this, the scrutiny from the standpoint of, of actually feeling it? I, you know, I didn't feel like the microscope was on me when I wasn't on the field, when, the, you know, the eye in the sky don't lie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just felt, you know, I was kind of, I was more of an introvert. I'm, I lean more to, towards introvert and very quiet usually. So I don't know anybody. I'm tired already from getting my butt whooped and pushing it every day. So, you know, I didn't feel like the eye was on me all the time. Yeah. And I just, I treated people like I always treated people. You know what I mean? I, I tend to appreciate being around people and there's no reason to be reason to be mean. And I don't take advantage of people who, you know, I try, you know, I just who I am. I'm not tooting my own horn. So I think it paid off. You know, I, I became friends with a lot of the guys who weren't football coaches. You know, I was friends with all the equipment staff in New York from the very beginning you know, we, we connected on our love of like Nike and Jordans and, and gear and they were just good dudes. And even when I would go back, sometimes I'd go back to Jersey when I was in new England, um, just to stop by the weekend and see some guys. And I'd walk in the Giants facility. Like I was family, like I was on the Patriots, but they didn't care. I mean, let me in. I'd see guys, they'd give me a bunch of Giants gear. And, <laughs> and I guess like what I'm saying, I didn't feel like that. But you find out the longer you're in that that's how it really is. People, you know, they get to know you when you're not on the football field. They see how you interact with people who can't do anything for you. Yeah. And it goes a long way, especially if you're a fringe guy. Now, like you said, if you're a superstar, you know, Larry Fitzgerald could have been the biggest jerk he wanted to be. Yeah. And it wouldn't have mattered. He'd have a spot. But he's not. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. Everybody loves him. And he didn't have to be. Um, but that's yeah. just Larry's ingrained that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember meeting him when he was still in college and talked to him for like 30 minutes. I just go, this guy just talked to me like, I, you know, like I've known him for 25 years, you know, and it, I just yeah. go, yeah, there. And the thing that, that carries you a long way, man, good or bad. I mean, you know, I mean, no matter what happens to you on the football field, you're right. It carries you a long way. Hey, real yeah. quick. Oh, 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 uh, carry us through your career and stuff. Update people. You know, just in a succinct fashion, uh, 
you're doing okay. Boom. Everybody, everybody remembers seeing you get your knee injured. You know, it's kind of famous. Uh, uh, you danced on that knee later that evening though, didn't you? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I didn't quite pull the Gronk where he was dancing. Um, with his but, but remind people, I mean, you're on the Giants. You're in the Super yeah. Bowl. Go ahead now. First year, signed with the Giants, uh, up and down practice squad, the active roster all year, depending on if Boss got hurt, if he didn't. Eventually, in the end of November, they just put me on active because they thought I could help out. I ended up yeah. only playing a couple games on I, not IR, but uh, inactive for games. Second year, you know, I'm, it's the lockout. So, an opportunity where I'm supposed to be able to train with the team all year to get better and better was not available. I'll yeah. back to Columbus. You know, I didn't, and I wasn't, didn't have any way to make money. I made a decent amount as a, a 23 year old human being, but I didn't make, you know, active roster money. So I trained all off season, got back. We didn't have an off season. So I got back to training camp, reported for training camp. And fortunately, it helped that I was on the team and knew all the plays since then. You know what I mean? And yes. I'll never forget, we had our first day of practice. Kevin Boss wasn't there. He's in contracts with Oakland and New York. And he was about to come back to New York on a three or four year deal worth, I think, you know, close to 10 million. Well, Al Davis in, in out in Oakland said, you know, we'll double it. So he went to Oakland. Wow. I'll never forget. Coach Pope came in. He's like, Kevin just signed with Oakland and we're not signing any tight ends. It's going to be somebody in this room. And I, I took that. I was like, let's it's going to be me. I don't care what's happening. So you know, that year I ended up earning the starting spot, started all year. Um, we went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. I got hurt in the Super Bowl, tore my ACL in the field, tried to run on the sideline because they told me it wasn't my ACL. Ended up getting hurt worse, cartilage damage, the whole nine yards, you know. So I was uh, all off season rehabbing, yada, yada. Right before training, uh, mini camp was over, they ended up wanting to put me on IR to, and cut me. And they're like, well, we, we know you're not going to play this year, so we're going to put you on IR. Unfortunately, though, you, we have to cut you. You have to be on the waiver wire for 24 hours, and then you'll go to IR. And I'm like, me and my agent were pissed. They're like, somebody could cl claim you, stow you away for the next year. You're a young, talented tight end, and you don't cost much money right now. You know, yeah. You're still on the first undrafted contract. And they're like, no, it's kind of an unwritten rule. Unwritten rule. No one will claim you. And I told <coughs> Jerry Reese – when I was sitting in front of him, I was like, listen, I love being a giant. I take a lot of pride in this, and this pisses me off. Um, let's hope hope to God I don't get claimed by someone else. He's like, no one will do that. <laughs> so the next day, I, I'm not allowed to go to the facilities. Well, rewind. So after I had that conversation with Jerry Reese, Coughlin was out doing – he wasn't even in town. He called me so hot, so pissed off. He's like, Jake – I'm, I can't even tell you how mad I am that this is happening. We love you here. You were a big reason for our success last year, and you're a smart kid. You know I don't get all the, all the calls. Um, yeah. But let's just, you know, he's like, I'm going to be praised. Like, I'm going to be praying to God that no one picks you up <laughs> and be a giant by the end of the day tomorrow. And I'm sitting there like, oh, uh, you know, I'm still 24. I'm a young kid. I'm like, oh, coach, that won't happen. I want to be here. I love being a giant. Yada, yada. So I go home. It's the next day, I can't even go to the facility. So I'm just hanging out thinking nothing's going to happen. Um, Ronnie Barnes, the head trader, calls me. He's like, hey, come to the facility. Uh, and this is minicamp, last day of minicamp. Coughlin wants you to come in. Just watch practice. We haven't, I don't think anything's happened yet. 
So I get ready to go in. I go and I'm watching practice. I'm, you know, I think I just started walking again. Anyway, <laughs> I'm talking to Ronnie Barnes like nothing's happened. Then this little runner, this little runner for uh, Jerry Reese comes over and looks at Ronnie. He's like, did you tell him? And tell me what? And Ronnie's like, I didn't tell him. And he's like, you'll never believe it. New England claimed you in the last five minutes of the waiver wire. Wow. No way. Not possible. He's like, yeah. And I, my stomach, my heart just sank. I got sick to my stomach. I called my agent right away, told him. He's like, no, they haven't. I was like, I haven't got a call from anyone. I, <laughs> I can't make this up. I was on the phone with my agent when a Foxborough number started calling him. So he's like, hold on. This is Foxborough number called me i'm sure let me talk to him sure enough it was slowly but surely all the players and on the field started finding out that i was no longer a giant and everybody was coming up to me getting pissed off coach pope was shaking his head coughlin was trying to finish practice his face was beat red just you could see it wow and he you know the owners came over to me and Jake, we love you. You're going to be fine up there. We just don't even know what to say. We can't believe this happened. And I just wanted to be like, wow, we told you it would happen. We told you. And, uh, wow. Coughlin just couldn't talk. And I was sick to my stomach. And then, you know, all the players just came up to me like, it doesn't make any sense. There's 90 roster spots. And for everybody who doesn't know, if you go into training camp and get cut, you go straight to IR. We were the last day of minicamp, so that's the last thing before training camp. If they just would have kept me until training camp, moved me over an hour, it would not have happened. Yeah, yeah. And the guy that they made room for was a a 12-year D-tackle vet that wasn't going anywhere. So it literally made no sense. Yeah, yeah. So they got played, was on a plane to New England the next day, went up to New England, uh, sat out all 2012 season, rehabbed, rehabbed. Um, <clears throat> coming to 13 off season training, I'm ready to run running around. But like I said, they're off season trainings, not, not easy. And I'm coming off a bad knee injury. And mind you, Gronk is hurt, so he's not practicing. Mm-hmm. Aaron Hernandez, I think, had shoulder surgery, and then eventually that whole story goes to jail. Yeah. So I'm the guy. Well, wait a minute, because of jail, I like the way you summed it up there. Go ahead now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm the guy taking all these reps. Yeah. No, they're supposed to be working me in easy. They're not. My knee's filled with fluid. I'm getting 50 cc's drained every other day. So I'm just – Dude. I'm horrible. I mean, I'm just feeling terrible, hating life. And eventually, I make it to the end of the training camp. The first three preseason games I start do decent. But then the fourth preseason game, was, which is a telltale, I didn't play until the second half. So I'm like – Wow. I'm cut, and it was against the Giants, so humiliating. Wow. And so they cut me. Uh, Nick Casario, who's also – he's like the GM for Africa. He's not in New England anymore, another GM somewhere. He starts – they call me up. He's telling me the whole thing, bring your playbook. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Uh, bring my play, playbook, get cut. Nick Casario's talking. Um, and then Bill is like, Nick, I'll take this one. And I respect Bill for this. He said, Jake, you've done everything we've asked you to. We've loved having you here. You're a pro's pro. You're a smart kid. You know your knee's not where it needs to be yet. And we think it's better in both of our t- cases to go in separate directions. We're not closing the book. You just might need a couple more months of rehab. Yeah. Well, that was done. 
I went and rehab for a couple months in Minnesota. Felt like I was the best I, I, I was. So then I went to start doing tryouts, tried out for the Chiefs. Uh, they were about to sign me until they took an x-ray of my knee. <laughs> and then they, they backed me up. They, they changed their mind. And then I ended up working out with Cardinals. They loved me. But they said they didn't have a spot for me yet. They had a rookie they drafted from Rutgers, who's a fifth-round guy. Well, sure enough, that next week, that guy got a DUI. He got cut. They called me, signed me, played for the Cardinals for eight games, had a couple touchdowns, started a couple games, uh, then signed another year with the Cardinals. And then six days in a training camp after a really hard summer workouts, I retired because I just could not take it yeah. anymore with yeah. my Crazy. I mean, it's crazy. You're having – you're having the moment of your life in the Super Bowl, and boom. Then you get back, sent back in there, them telling you it was not the ACL. <laughs> well, telling you it's probably, well, I don't, yeah. Not only the ACL, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not the ACL, right, like you said. Yeah, yeah. But then, I don't think it's your meniscus. Yeah. But then, but then of course, also, I think you ended up with microfracture surgeries. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. yeah. And that didn't, that doesn't, that doesn't always work for a lot of people. And uh, that's what kind of was your final undoing, wasn't it? The microfracture. Yeah, uh, you know, my legs are strong, the ACL strong. It's the cartilage damage that I suffered. You know, you do the microfracture surgery, they drill into your uh, bone to increase blood flow to try yeah. to get blood to heal and put a surface of cartilage over, but it's never going to be, you know, your your cartilage is as slick or as uh, smooth. Natural. Yeah. Smooth, yeah. Right? Your cartilage is. I think 10 times as slick as ice. So like it's supposed to be moved easy, right? So now I got this area that's defect, that's hampering my ability of cutting, running, blocking. And yeah, I also had a meniscectomy. So I mean, with my knee, so my meniscus was gone on my medial side of my left knee. I was bone on bone. And yeah. I pushed it through for two more years, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. Football, when it come, when it, when the Reaper comes, he comes, doesn't he? I mean, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Fast. You yeah. know, when you're a rookie, and I, you know, I was lucky to last day. I didn't have major injuries, you know, some soft tissue pulled hamstrings, never missed games. I think I missed one game against, I don't even remember, Illinois or a half. I play the next week. Anyway, um, and I'm a rookie and seeing all these vets, 10 year vets, older, throwing icy hot all over their body before they get ready to go do a simple walkthrough or an OJ. Yeah. I was like, I'll never be that guy. Fast forward three years later, I'm getting a facility first. I'm in the hot tub and the sauna, warming up my legs in the weight room before going out for practice. And I'm like, this, this is not it. Yeah. 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 Paycheck. I mean, yeah. But hey, uh, hey, uh, so that that's what I'm getting to. I want you to tell that story, you know, because that's what these guys, you know, right now you're going in uh Young, dumb, and, you know, full of energy. I'll leave it – I'll make it full of energy. You know, follow my drift there. Uh, but it, it's important to just make the most of whatever as fast as you can, right? I mean, because uh, nothing's guaranteed, so to speak, right? Is that what, is that what you tell these guys? What would, you, what would be your, uh, what would be your uh, message to them? Yeah, I'd say, you know, concentrate as much as you can on it because nothing is guaranteed. It doesn't last forever and get it while you can. So when I see guys sit out for contract talks, I'm like, great. The NFL is a multi-billion dollar industry and one of the biggest in the world. They're going to get yours and your window to make money right now is so small. Yeah. You You got to do everything you can to benefit and take care of your body. Yeah. Maximize. Hey, uh, how fired up were you to see Luke Farrell get drafted? I mean, he went, 
earlier than a lot of people thought. I mean, I mean, you're you're a tight end guy. You're an alum from Ohio State. I mean, the, there's a little camaraderie there, right? In one yeah, fashion. I was really happy for Luke. Um, I've had a couple conversations with him. I think I met him a long time ago when he was a recruit. I was on the sidelines for a game. I think Jim, Jimmy Cordell was even a GA, and we took yeah. a picture together. But I was really happy for him. I mean, I was a little surprised, but evaluating, you know, Luke's a big guy. He can hold his own in the run game. He's athletic enough to be a, a tight end in the league. He, I could see him doing a sneaky eight to ten years career yeah. in the NFL. And yeah. even becoming a starter and making a name for himself, kind of like similar to what I did, because he's going to show up. He'll be able to block anybody put in front of him for the most part, better than most tight ends in the league. Most tight ends get rode off as in the blocking game. And he'll be able to stretch. You know, he's a 4'7 guy um, in the 40. He'll be able to stretch the seams and run downfield and jump and go up and get it. So yeah. the tight ends who can handle the blocking and the receiving are far and few between nowadays. And NFL demands that out of at least one guy in the roster. So right. If he, if he can keep that going, he could turn it, you know, like I said, an 8, 10, 15 year career because it's needed position. I was going to say, I call that, I call, I call the, the, the one tight end that they feature, I call him the sweet tight end, but you got to have that at least one other guy, like, you know, like, you know, no fist, but like kind of like you were, they'll get down there and get down and dirty, but can still do the other stuff, you know, and uh, probably the most, one of the more valuable people on an offense uh, period, in my opinion. And I always saw that as the role for him. I talked about it for the draft, you know, that, uh, that he's a guy that could do it all. And, and you know, it kind of remind, it reminds me of you in, in a lot of respects. Uh, uh, who, who, who got drafted that just from Ohio state that, uh, you know, you think is other than Luke that could surprise some people down the road. I mean, obviously Justin's going to be a, probably a starter by the middle of the year, if not sooner, you know, uh, some of these other guys, but who's a guy that just jumps out at you? Um, you know, one guy that I think went way late in his great value is Tommy Togiai. Yeah. I think he's going to go in there and wreak havoc and make a name for himself. And people can play the what if game. Like, oh, if he would have came back, he might have been a first or second round pick. Well, he also could have got hurt. Yeah. So you can't do anything about it now. Like, I think General Carpenter – said on uh, his Twitter, he's like, you just got to look forward. You know, he can't change it. And things happen. Sometimes die guys slip depending on the need at certain teams and the value they have on guys. So I think he's a great value. I think Trey Sermon is an, un an unbelievable value for a third round pick. Uh, he could be the guy right out of camp in, yeah. in San Francisco. So, I mean, I think those guys jump off the page. Otherwise, you know, uh, He's a second get round guy, so that's no surprise there. He could be starting pretty quickly. I think Baron Browning's very uh, will be a you know um, potentially fight for a spot later in the season, if not yeah. earlier. Oh, and, and another guy, Wyatt Davis. You know, Wyatt dropping um, as low as he did. I don't know if it was due to injuries or what, but I would be surprised if he walks in there and starts. You know, yeah. after a couple weeks of practice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, he was my uh, on our rapid re our 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 we make these bold predictions, and I said, you know, you kept hearing how he was not going to be a first rounder, but I didn't think he would drop like he did. But I go, this guy's going to be in the league ten or twelve years minimum if he stays healthy. You know, his grandpa's Willie Davis. You know, I mean, I got his autograph way back in nineteen sixty four. We were at the Green Bay Packers camp. We were visiting from Alabama. You know, and. uh and everybody was in this big line for Bart Starr, and I went and got Willie Davis's <laughs> autograph. You know, because but he was a but I mean, my point is, yeah, 
the draft just gets you in the league, you know, one way or the other. You know, like people are disappointed that Justin Fields dropped to 11. I go, you were the 11th player taken in the draft by a right. team that needs a quarterback. You know, right. how more, you know, yeah, you're not going to make as much money as Trevor Lawrence the first year. Uh, but, and that's what's really whacked is how the, the money falls off the cliff, you know, is the farther down you go. But flip side, you were the 11th player taken in the draft, you know, go for it. You know, Tom Brady was in the sixth round, for God's sakes, you know. And, uh, but it is amazing. The, the, the disinformation campaign that started on Justin Fields was crazy. And, uh, uh, anyway, everything you would hear on him. Oh, he doesn't have enough tape. I mean, he played two years ago, the the top competition in the country. Meanwhile, you know, the guy from North Dakota state had played in one year in one game last year. And you're going to take him. You're telling me Fields doesn't have enough tape. He had two games this year that were a little below par, but guess what? Who cares? He yeah. Enough to take, I mean, I don't know how you take take him over Fields. I just uh, – oh, I, I was stumped. But, you know, NFL teams do that kind of stuff, man. And you can't, you kind of think it's a – you know, a lot of people have a wrong idea about the draft. Like, they're just picking the top 250 guys in order of how good they are. No, that's not what they're doing at all. You know, like yeah. I said, you only, you only got to sidle up to one or two teams to convince them to take you. You know, that's – you don't play the whole field and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think that's going to backfire on San Francisco big time, especially if Garoppolo – if Garoppolo play, you know, I'm not sold on Garoppolo anyway as being a Super Bowl champion kind of quarterback. Number two, he's been banged up, and that's no, necessarily no fault of his. But they all of a sudden are stuck with Trey Lance in the middle of the year. You know, wow, I'm, good good luck. Now, he may end up being the next great player. But uh, We're not rude against the kid, but like you yeah. said, he played – he played what, fourteen games? Division, yeah, Division One A FCS football, FCS football, like, FCS football. Of course, he's running over guys at the goal line. <laughs> there it is, big. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jake Ballard. You know that uh, you and I both know that you have all these other stories that I want to get into one of these days, uh, or not one of these days, several of these days on the Tim May podcast because I, I think people like hearing about what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, stuff you can – stories at least you can tell and not get you in any big trouble, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, you're going to come back one of these days with me, aren't you? Yep, anytime, man. We hey, and people don't know this, but I'm uh, trying to put together – I'm, I'm going to be your manager on the uh, – on the long driving uh, – on the long driving league because I'm telling you, we got a shot to go all the way, brother, don't you think? I, I think there's a shot. I just need that, uh, that extended driver that those guys have and let's roll. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to be the coach. I'm, my, my coaching tip is going to be this. Hit it farther. That's, that's, what, that's what my coaching tip. But anyway, hey, we're playing golf later. Yeah, we're playing golf later this week, man. I appreciate it, and we'll hook up, all right? All right. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Ballard. Hey, man, Crankenstein, as I call him, uh, awesome, otherwise known as Jake Ballard, man. You ought to watch him hit a golf ball, my, my friend. And I'm serious about that long driving contest stuff. We're going to hit that tour. I'm going to be his manager, a.k.a. Uh, key grip, whatever you want to call it, because I think this guy can go places. But I've, uh, I've heard the tales, and I think there might be something to play in that tight end position because yes. I've heard the exploits of Ballard. Last year, Jake Stoneburner played with our team when we went out and uh, finished second in the Roosters event, and he goes off number 10 at Dublin, hits it 375, first swing of the day down the middle. Long drive hole. It's already over. He's won it on the first swing. And Will Crawl. Uh, my boss, yeah. played the walk-on tight end, he can also absolutely match the driver. So 
I guess we missed the boat, Tim. We should have played tight end. You know, they must – I think they might, with Kevin Wilson being a tight end coach now, you got to figure they take 30 minutes out and just go to the driving range, don't you? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's part of his day. I know that, man. But, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I'll tell you what, I'm 67, and the interesting thing is I've never hit the ball farther than I do now, you know. And, uh, of course, that just tells you how far, how far I didn't hit it way before. But it is crazy, man, how, you know – technology and whatever, but I'm like I said on the uh, on the interview with Jake there, the most impressive thing was the 198-yard nine-iron he hit with the wind um, at this uh, scramble we played in a few weeks ago at uh, Clover Valley. Nice golf course, man. And uh, on a par five, and and we uh, hold the putt for a bur- for an eagle. I mean, uh, he would, like we hit it within eight feet. That was the most amazing shot he hit all day, you know. As a matter of fact, we played some of my drives. And, you know, because um, Paul Spot and I, we're like, yeah, we're above 65. So we got to play from the yellow tees, which we didn't know we were going to get to do. And uh, we both hit the ball pretty, still pretty well, you know, when we hit it straight. But but I digress. Real quick, you know, he made good points. But the main point I wanted to talk to you about was, <clears throat> you know, he, like many others, or at least many other people I know, is scratching his head about San Francisco taking a guy in Trey Lance. And this isn't knocking Trey Lance. Trey Lance is from all opinions is a great guy, great talent, whatever you want to call it. But he was a starter for one year at the FCS level, didn't play last year because the FCS took it, the fall off because of COVID. And they take him with the third pick in the draft when they could have had what I call a possible plug and play guy in Justin Fields. I mean, um, like right out of the bat, I mean, Trey Lance is a project and uh, Justin Fields. Yeah. He's got to learn things, but he, you could put him in there and just say, you know, run certain plays and he could run them right now. I'm just – I don't know. What, what do you think about that? I mean, what, is, what does that tell you once again about the vagaries? <clears throat> That's the correct term of the NFL draft. Well, I, I think back – I think what immediately comes to mind is that when, when these guys that have all gone through this draft process that we've talked to for years and years doing this, they say, well, uh, it only takes one team to fall in love. And it doesn't matter if you're – considered the second best prospect or this or that, or other teams have you. you know, there was a report over the weekend once the draft was over that uh, eight out of the 32 teams had Justin Fields above Trevor Lawrence. Now, was that right or wrong? I don't know. We've, we've had our issues with what uh, people at that, you know, in the NFL draft circles have been reporting for the last couple of months. So yeah. I'll take it with a grain of salt. But the point is, you know, San Francisco traded up to get a quarterback that I, I just, I don't know if anybody else would have wanted in the third spot just because Justin Fields is so proven. So the fact that they did that before the draft, and then generally NFL teams are so risk averse um, and, and wanted, you know, they turn over all these stones, so they get the most sure thing. Part of the reason that, that Justin Fields slid was because they had more film and they looked at two games that they were concerned about without any context for uh, still winning against Indiana uh, or playing against Northwestern. Uh, with without his best receivers against a defense that was pretty talented. I think they were third in the country yeah. total defense, had a first-round draft pick at cornerback, and they were content to force Ohio State to run the football. You know, all that. What We've talked about that a million times. But they had more film on fields and then picked that apart. If he yeah. hadn't played last year, if Justin Fields had stayed opted out, you cannot convince me that he would not have gone number two overall. I just I, – I don't believe it. So – if you're going to, wait a minute, let me interrupt. If you're going to take a video and judge two guys off of it, <clears throat> the Ohio State Clemson game, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> which which quarterback would you have taken from that game? I mean, just if we just judge it off of that, a, a guy, not just a guy that was in fuego, uh, was on fire in Justin Fields, but got the crap knocked out of him and came back and played the not just the game of his life, the greatest bowl game performance, in my opinion, in Ohio State quarterback history. Well, you know, it's just go ahead though. You can see here's the thing: you can justify anything you want. That's right. That's in video. If you if you if you want to, now go ahead. And but if you have you have that film of the Sugar Bowl, what do you have from Trey Lance that is even remotely comparable? I'm not. There's nothing wrong with playing at a lower level. I watched Josh Allen at Wyoming, and I knew for sure that that was an NFL talent quarterback. You know how how the Cowboys wound up lucky enough to have him, and you know the way that all played out. Hey, you know sometimes things happen. Trey Lance, the same thing. Lightly recruited, didn't have that many you know options to play quarterback and then he made the most of it I, I you give those guys a lot of credit they get players NFL players can come from anywhere yes um, and that's that's one of the great parts about it for people who work hard or, and make the most maximize their talent that's great but you know uh, the concern about Josh Allen and we've seen what he's become was always uh, doing them against Mountain West level competition well that's still higher than what North Dakota State is facing on a weekly basis and we know that that program has stepped up and beat some teams um, at the FBS level, they've won a ton of championships. But you got one season of film you're working with, and none of the teams that he played were Clemson in the college football playoff. Yes. So I, I just don't I, – I, you know, I, it won't ever make sense to me, but that part of it is over, and we'll see who's right. I would bet much more on Justin Fields being a success, even if it's Chicago, um, than, than Trey Lance, and that's, that's my personal opinion. Right up until San Francisco announced his pick. And I know, you know, the news that had come out that uh, they were down to Trey Lance or Mac Jones. Mac Jones. You know, you couldn't get two more different guys than those two guys. <laughs> those are your two guys, and you can't get any more different. I mean, if, if that's true, then, you know, probably Justin ended up in the right place because that sounds like a place that doesn't have a clue what he wants to do with his quarterbacks. Like they want to get. They want to get uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, uh, Tom Brady. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they didn't get either one. I mean, it's I, I'm, I'm just perplexed by it. Uh, let's move on. I think Justin's going to do – I think Justin's going to land it in the right place. Is going to do fine at Chicago. That's not rooting for a guy because he's from Ohio State. I just think this guy's upside is huge. You know, the epilepsy thing, he addressed it. Uh you know, didn't make a big deal about it. Didn't say he's going to become a spokesman, you know, for dealing with it. Basically said it popped up, you know, when he was like in middle school and he dealt with it from then on, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, why that had to come out before the draft is beyond me. Obviously, the Chicago Bears, totally, totally uh, comfortable with that situation. The stuff that came out about him that was totally bogus, you know, he just let that roll like water off his back because, you know, once stuff like comes comes out, uh, and then you refute it, you know, what are you left to do? And if people at that level who supposedly are doing all their research and that's what they came up with, you don't want to play for a team like that anyway. I mean, because who the hell are they talking? Well, we, I'm not going to get into who we think they were talking to because that's casting aspersions I don't know about. But uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We've, we've, already talked about guesses. we've already talked about Peach Basket, so we'll move on from there. NFL draft is over. Who – who was the most slighted in a Ohio State player in this draft, and who was the most more more most benef, most beneficial player in this draft? If in fact I even put that correctly, I stammered because I wasn't sure what I was 
how yeah. I was going to put that, but uh, make it quick. Who was the most slighted player in this draft? Going to steal your answer. Uh, it's Wyatt Davis. Um, you know, he, uh, the end result is that all these guys got selected. They have homes that are probably going to be good fits for them. Uh, once you get into those third, fourth, fifth round picks, I mean, those those teams are are drafting, you know, to try and fill out their roster with spots that are potentially open for competition. And we know, we both know that Wyatt Davis has the ability to go in there, a, a healthy Wyatt Davis, by the way, um, and, and start from day one and never leave their lineup. So yeah, let me interrupt you. That's what, uh, you know, that's obviously what uh, Jake Ballard pointed out. He thinks this guy could be a starter day one. I mean, game one. If in yeah. fact, you know, we don't know truly about his health. Something there was a flag for the NFL and uh, they didn't take him early like I thought he should. I'm not saying would, but should have been taken because I really do think he's going to be a 10 to 12 year starter uh, minimum in the NFL if he stays healthy. But but go ahead. And I, I can't remember if it was the first round or second round when I was sitting there, uh, you know, we're waiting, we're covering uh, the draft as, as much as, as fast and furious as we can. Yeah. The weekend. And, and I'm, I, I heard it out of the corner, uh, you know, did they say that that guy tore his Achilles at the senior bowl and he's off the board before Wyatt Davis, who's yeah. already on the mend. And like, so that's the, you know, what you've talked about with, you know, you never know what one team is going to value another. So if they were concerned about the knee and another team doesn't care that somebody would miss all of rookie camp and mini camp and training camp with a torn Achilles, they had to have him. So, you know, I, there's never any way you and I were texting about that over the weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make all that much sense to us. Of course, the prospects that we are most familiar with are the ones that we see every day. But I think Wyatt Davis, just historically, the guards that we've watched, you know, develop, play, practice, perform, he's one of the best that I've ever seen. And I think that he'll have a long career. And the same is true for Josh Myers. He didn't slide quite as far. Um, I'd lump them in the same category as guys that could have gone higher that are potentially day one NFL starters. So they just wound up being good value. I mean, that's the that's the way – that's the flip side of the coin. Yeah. But, you know, just – blows your mind, though. These guys – these were two stalwarts on the Ohio State offensive line. It was maybe – it was right up there rival, one of the best in the country. I mean, you know, you can debate it, whatever, and you're going, you know, so like you're talking about. And then they draft these guys you've kind of like not even heard of or sort of not heard of, and you kind of go, these guys, man, played at the highest level and were road graders. When Ohio State needed – uh, needed uh, uh, a saving grace against Northwestern when clearly Justin Fields was not on his A game, as he admitted, and he was missing Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, was missing in that game. And all, and these guys, like I was pointing out in the first half of that game, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers were owning the offensive line. And finally, turn around, give the ball to Trey Sermon, let him run for 331 yards, you know, most of it in the second half. How hard was that? But my point is, uh, what what are you looking at? You know, when it finally comes down, these guys are football players, man. Right. I mean, that's they're not just big names on a big time school. They're they're football players. That's what that's what drives me crazy. My my pick for uh, a guy that got his just dessert and probably could have been taken higher, but somebody opened their eyes and it's really funny who did. It was Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> but when they take Luke Farrell, yeah, I think as as Jake Ballard pointed out, that guy could be in the league ten or twelve years too. I mean, he's that kind of player. He's he blocks great at the point of attack. 
He can run really good routes. Was in the four seven range, I think, in his forty. Can catch the ball if you if you throw it to him, you know, which is the big F, you know, for tight ends, especially at Ohio State. Uh, don't you agree? That was a guy that went. He maybe went higher than some people projected. I thought he was a almost a steal in the fifth round. What do you think? I texted or whatever round he went. I'm trying to remember. It was fifth? Yeah. yeah. I, I I texted somebody uh, close to that Farrell camp after that pick, and you know congratulations to them and uh, the way that Farrell developed in the fit that he's got there with urban. And uh, said, so I guess, I guess they don't need to sign Tim Tebow anymore. And the response was, yeah, Tebow can chill. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like that's, that was one of the funnier subplots because only urban Meyer could have been interested in that. I think with trying to bring Tebow back at this stage, but he, he, he knew that there was a guy sitting there who he recruited who he watched become one of the best blockers and knows what that offense entails, knows that he can also catch the football. When you talk about Ballard's catch, Luke Farrell had one just like it with the post up in the Sugar Bowl. Yep. You know, he can he can do it all. It's that was a great fit. That's a that's a great pick by you and by Urban Meyer for a guy who uh, again fits in that value category and and is pretty much ideal. Like if you're building around Trevor Lawrence or building or he's the foundation for Urban Meyer. You have to surround him. I thought it was weird that they took Travis Etienne in the first round, but you could tell as they went along that they were trying to, you know, a strong tight end who can block and catch if you need him to, um, you know, some some weapons that he can work with, an offensive lineman as you went along. But um, I think that Farrell is going to be a really important asset for Trevor Lawrence there. Yeah. You know, the thing that bothers me about Travis Etienne, but, you know, in the, in, the, in the NFL, different people have different – they got Carlos Hyde sitting there. You know, I think they feel pretty good. Um, but the thing that bothered me about Travis Etienne uh, uh, was how he kind of disappeared as a running back, you know, against Ohio State the last two years, against a team that really can play some run defense. Yeah. But, you know, especially two years ago, he made some ridiculous plays out of the backfield as a receiver. And, uh, you know, so – yeah, that one uh, – that was a head-scratcher because I think they could have gotten him in the second round, to be honest with you. Well, Jacksonville is just coming off of the year where they had an undrafted free agent rush for 1,000 yards. Yeah. And that's not – you know, plus Carlos Hyde. So, there were two yeah. running backs there. Um, you know, I, I guess all of us here will be paying closer attention to the way Urban Meyer is trans, transitioned to the NFL and the way he builds his roster than uh, maybe we would normally pay to what's going on with Jacksonville. But, um, you know – I. No, let me interrupt you. I would, I would, it would catch my eye no matter who did it if a team took two players from the same school in the yeah. same first round. That has to catch your eye. And it was the two <laughs> skill guys. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, you know, uh, that, that's what got me. But it also is an insight into what he kind of has in mind offensively, in my opinion. You know, uh, look out because they're going to throw the ball to running backs out of the backfield. It's, you know, Maybe a lot. Yeah, and that's not what you're going to use Carlos Hyde for. So, no, no. It, so. It, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I still don't know what's going to happen for him down there, but it was fun to just, you know, see Urban Meyer in that war room and the picks that he made and, you know, the way that you and I, the time that we spent around him, how how his brain works and what he thinks. Like, I just know that he he probably thought about the Fiesta Bowl and the way that Travis Etienne – you know, finish that game, and he never, ever forgot about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And now he's in a position where he doesn't have to recruit these guys and he might lose. Yeah. If he wanted Travis Etienne on his team, 
and he didn't care that it was a first-round pick and he might be able to get him later. He wanted to guarantee that he got him, and so he did. Now I'm going to answer this question first, and then I'm going to make you take another one. Okay. Well, the high State free agent signees, who's going to, like, make a t- make the team? My pick is Justin Don't do Williams. it. Stop! Okay. That's what I want to get ahead of. Because if nothing else, he is a wedge-busting, go down there and make the tackle on special teams demon, and then he will work his way. I mean, I could see trepidation about drafting him based on his medical history, even though if you look the last year and a half, He's been sound as a pound, as they say in jolly old England. But uh, I'm not sure the pound is that sound anymore, but you know where I'm going with that cliche. Uh, But the bottom line is there's the guy who has the goods to make the team and then maybe show them what he can do at linebacker. Now your choice. (laughs) Wow. You, you did, you did a number on me there. You're Christmas, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. I I would say the next in line, it's uh, the, the guy's got, Great athleticism. I was I was just going to say punting ability. That's obvious. Yeah, he punted for a long time at a high level. Um, he's he's a good athlete, and you got to have that once you go to that next level up. But moving around, doing different things. I, I know we're just talking about a punter, but um, you know that that position has become more complicated and uh, more elaborate with some of the punts that you do. I'm just listening sometimes to Pat McAfee talk about what they're doing and the ball placement on the foot and the spin and all, you know, I started maybe paying more attention to that when Cam Johnson was around. Yeah. Uh, and then Drew Christian kind of, you know, he did his own thing for several years at a high level and, you know, he's got a, he's going to be familiar with uh, the situation down there in Cincinnati. And uh, I'm sure that they wouldn't have, have signed him to that deal as quickly as they did if they didn't view him as someone who could potentially win that job this summer. Yeah, plus he can flip bottles for a living. I mean, he, he, here's the thing about him. I I just like him, you know. I mean, I like him. And then he's got this ability, you know, uh, uh, to do things. And uh, and plus he's an interesting dude, you know. So uh, best of luck to him. And really all the Buckeyes that uh, signed national – that signed national letters of intent, that signed undrafted free agent <laughs> contracts. Because, you know, like I said, Jake Ballard, uh, my guest this week, is a great example. If you go in there and bust your butt and show them what you got, show them why you should make the team, you know, don't, you're not really going in there to be buddy, buddy with anybody because the guy, the guy to sit next to you, you may be competing with for a job. This isn't a scholarship where you're going to be on scholarship regardless. You're competing for a job. You know, you just put your head to the grindstone and go for it, you know, and, and play at that uh, college football playoff elite level. You know, you've got a great shot no matter who you are. Real quick, speaking of that, um, uh, before we go here, because we only got a couple more seconds here. Actually, we already ran over our time, but you know how it goes. This is sort of an untimed, timed event. Uh, uh, when it's finished, it's finished. Yeah, when it's finished, it's finished. Yeah, there you go. I like that. I like that. Uh, I may use that as my as my final quote here in a minute. But uh, <laughs> transfer portal, what's going to happen? I mean, uh, well, what, what do you see coming down the line? Is Ohio State going to get the kid from Tennessee, uh, 2020? Do I pronounce that? Close to correct. I, I I think so. You know, I'm not the uh, go-to to get every name. Linguist. Right. You're not the linguist, yeah. yeah. Although I try my best because I know how important that is. Yeah. Um, I like It's a two-team race. I think there is – Ohio State feels very comfortable about what it's done, what it's presented. I, I think it's complicated anytime when, uh, you know, we're still in the midst of this, you know, uh, shutdown period. So he wasn't – it's not like he's been able to go – get into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Nobody's been able to do that or won't be able to until June 1st. Um, 
and and certainly he'd be more familiar with what Alabama has to offer. Um, you know, just having gone through that from his recruitment and and maybe making a decision that he regretted the first go round going to Tennessee. Yeah. But the depth chart is certainly something that has resonated. Uh, I know that Al Washington, since the moment he could contact uh, Henry two o two o, has developed a strong relationship with him. And really, it seemed like when that thing started. It was Alabama, and that was it. So the Ohio State, the fact that this is a true sort of 50-50 situation and the Buckeyes feel like they have a shot at it, a legitimate shot at him coming to Columbus, tells you how strong uh, the message and the relationships have resonated with him. Um, in a 50-50 shot, I wouldn't want to uh, put my money betting against either one of these programs when it comes to recruiting. Uh, I, I just think that Ohio State, when they're – when that comfort, when they're starting to talk that way behind the scenes, when you hear some of those whispers, usually a good thing happens. Um, and the fact that they might need to win one uh, might redouble their efforts with Jamison Williams now heading down to Alabama, which that one comes as, as a surprise. I know that you're asking about a guy coming in. Yeah. But this, was a, this was something that developed pretty recently with Jamison Williams. You know, people have asked you and me both, going back to, you know, signing day in December. Like, how is Ohio State going to keep these all? Like, who's going to transfer? I think deep down, if you'd said in March, yeah, Jamison Williams might be might be the one, even though he was, you know, the third receiver, third guy last year. The other guys were pushing. But he had a great spring. The people I talked to uh, inside the program raved about the way he went about his work. They were extremely happy with what he did. Uh the strides he made, there were not signs in March or uh, through the middle of April that Jamison Williams was unhappy or looking to leave. This is something that seemed to come about much more recently. And, uh, you know, who knows exactly what was said, why it was said, um, you know, he's not going to get as many touches. And then you start listening to other people about your NFL future at this time of year. Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, that happened late. This is not something that was building – and it did come as a surprise to Ohio State the way it worked out. Yeah. Too bad. Because, I mean, that guy had finally gotten to that point, you know. I mean, uh, we saw him have a few few struggles along the way. Uh, like, for example, against Northwestern, it was sort of his moment. Yeah. And maybe didn't rise to that occasion and stuff. And uh, But, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., I just keep telling people, oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I mean, stays healthy. Wow, that guy, the upside on that freshman is crazy. And then you throw, throw it in there with a the mix with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. I mean, uh, even Amika Egbuka. Wow, that guy caught, caught everything they threw to him in the spring game, including one, maybe the best catch in the spring game. Crazy. Uh, Julian Fleming, you know, stepping back up, you know, right on down the line. It's just uh, – you know, everybody can't play, man. That's the bottom line. And sometimes you get the message. And if you get a great opportunity with another great program, you know, why wouldn't you take advantage of it? You know? Yeah. And and look, this is this is one of the this is the deepest wide receiver room in the country still without James, yes. which tells you a, a lot. So if this was going to happen, it was it's much better for Ohio State. Uh, and I'm not, I don't mean it to sound as as cruel as maybe that came across. They they have the depth to absorb the loss of Jameson Williams, which is crazy to think because we know what his ability is. He's another top 100 four-star player. He's scored in big games. He caught a touchdown in that Sugar Bowl uh, blowout. He's a very good player. Otherwise, he wouldn't be going to play at Alabama. 
Yeah. So it, it does hurt to lose Jamison Williams, but also it maybe doesn't even change Ohio State's depth chart that much. You know, if you're going into March, a healthy Julian Fleming, I think, was starting to inch ahead of Jamison Williams. That's, you know, the things yeah. that you and I are, are, are hearing about his ability and his potential. So, you know, that's – and that has to play into his mind as well. Like, what's going to happen? Is it – I think Jamison Williams was somebody who thought he'd be a three-year-and-out-to-the-NFL kind of guy. You know, he wasn't ready for that, and he was going to have his hands full staying in that talented rotation. So um, he's, he made a move that he thinks is, is the best for him. And I think even though Ohio State is disappointed that it doesn't get to finish off that development with him because they yes. certainly view him as an NFL player at some point, um, you know, I think they can understand why that decision was made and they know that they're still going to be okay. And then maybe it'll help their numbers in the long run. Yeah, I had somebody ask me, who, so now who's the take the top off the defense kind of guy for Ohio State? And I go, well, if you watch Chris Olave play the last – and he gets open, and he may not be as fast as the – you know, I think he's extremely fast. He's sneaky fast. You know, Garrett Wilson, we haven't really seen him streak a lot. You know, he wants to be considered faster than Chris Olave. they got some capable people, but the main thing is you got capable people that get open and then catch the ball. The key phrase – the key phrase, get open and catch the ball. And, uh, boy, if C.J. Stroud or whoever ends up being – whomever ends up being the quarterback, you know, wow. Like Who's I said, going to take the top off the defense? Like, have people yeah. – like, have they really not remember? Like, Chris Olave, yeah. oh, no. all those plays that he made in the game. Like, no. just look at the Clemson line. Yeah. He's just gone. Okay, yeah. there was no top of the defense because it exploded. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it was like potpourri, potpourri everywhere, you know? I mean, uh, but I digress. Hey, I always appreciate you coming on and being right-hand seat there when I have to take uh, bathroom breaks and things like that while we're flying this plane. Uh, appreciate it. Awesome, as you know. Uh, uh, real quick before we go, um, yeah. uh, it's really funny. C.J. Stroud was not listed on any Heisman or any kind of Heisman talk or best quarterbacks in the country a month ago. Now he come out of spring and now people are projecting him. It goes back to what I was talking to you about. The Ohio State quarterback, it's a pretty good position to be playing these days, right? I mean, you know, as soon as they name a starter, that guy's going to jump up on any kind of like betting lines, whatever you want to call it. It It is interesting what Ryan, first Urban Meyer, now Ryan Day have created. And it, and it goes back to what we talked about at the start of the show. Yeah. When you when you send a Dwayne Haskins, no matter what happens after, when you send Justin Fields, no matter what happens for him with the Bears, I'm talking about them as college quarterbacks. Yeah. That's but, all I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah, but that so when you become that, that attracts guys like C.J. Stroud, who could start anywhere in the country. Uh, Jack Miller, uh, you know, I don't I don't think he'll win the starting job here. Ninety percent of the programs in the country, he's going to be a starter uh, in the first couple of years on campus, and we know what Kyle McCord is capable of. Yeah, so all these all these guys. The point was that they know what they're signing up for, and Ohio State is getting guys that you can put in, and they may be ready to do it in one year. Where in the past it was a longer process to learn learn the offense, get comfortable with the speed of play. Ohio State's not dealing with developmental quarterbacks really anymore. They are getting uh, college football ready, starting quarterback, plug and play, quarterback ready to go. Plug and play, that's my key phrase for the day, plug and play. I mean, Plug and play, we'll, we'll you, lean on that one. If you just keep things simple, for example, for uh, Justin Fields from the start and then move, you know, incrementally move it up for the, with the Chicago Bears, or 
he's going to he's going to produce, man. I mean, he's already shown he's got the toughness. He's got the arm big time. And he's got the feet to get him out of problems when they develop. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Remember, remember what Ryan Day said um, leading up to the Heisman ceremony for Dwayne Haskins. Um, he, that he, he's a first year starter. He'd broken every record. And he said, well, we've got about 60 percent of the offense in for him. Like that's at the end of year one. And he was about to become a first round NFL draft pick. Yeah. And I think part of it was because he wanted him to stay and finish that development and won't go one more year, not just for the sake of the program, which would have been incredible for Ohio state, even though we know what happened afterwards with who replaced him, but that, you know, there's a lot that you learn in year two. Justin Fields didn't even get that full second year in the traditional sense. Thanks to what we know happened in 2020. Um, you know, now because of what those guys went through, because they were able to take their talents and assimilate into that offense so quickly, that will only help a Stroud, a Mill, or a McCord, a Ewers, or whoever else down the road. Like, you know, Ohio State's not going to be bothered at this point to, oh, let's take a shot on this three star. Maybe in three years, he'll be ready to go. I mean, they are, they're like a team that's drafting in the first overall, like Urban Meyer just was. You're going to get the best quarterback available in most circumstances because they've proven they know what to do with them. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to an end of a flight of another Tim May podcast. So put your tray tables back up in the lock position uh, and stow your uh, – no, get actually get your uh, multimedia tablets out and start listening. But uh, you know what? Awesome. Until next week, this is Tim May. We'll see you then.